It's the My Michelle Live podcast. Looking for the God story and news of the day. My Michelle Live news and views. Here's Michelle. The God story. The God story. Is there a God story in the news of the day? Russia invading the Ukraine. The world seems to be going absolutely crazy. So we decided that we're going to do a series of shows on how crazy is it? Where is God? Is there a God in all of this? And is there a God solution? We're going to take it on with a bit of a view from Jerusalem with our beloved Rabbi, Rabbi Yitzhak Adlerstein. And now a view from Jerusalem with Rabbi Adlerstein. Rabbi Adlerstein is a the man in charge there with Interfaith Affairs at the Simon Wiesenthal Center, Director of Interfaith Affairs, I should say. He is uh, one of the founders and contributors to Cross Currents Magazine, where you can read a lot of his wonderful writings and contributions. And he is a frequent flyer here on My Michelle Live. Rabbi, it is very good to see you. And next to Jerusalem, it's my favorite location. <laughs> And Rabbi, the God story, it almost seems a little silly and far-fetched, maybe uh, like a fantasy or fairy tale as we look at the problems of the world. If you're not a God person and you hear someone talking about the God story and is there a God solution, it almost seems as unrealistic as hoping that E.T. is going to return and uh, you know <laughs> have some kind of interaction with mankind and set us straight. It just seems far-fetched to a lot of people. And, and yet, um, if you're going to share our secret with the, uh, with the listenership, what we originally had agreed to discuss, and what, what we are going to discuss, I believe, is how social science is now providing us with, with evidence that, duh, if you take God out of society, there's some things that are bound to happen, and they're not always good. And today, we're just seeing one of the more extreme consequences of ridding the Western world of God consciousness. Not that there weren't wars, not that throughout hundreds of years of firm belief, people of different religions didn't fight each other. That's all true. And yet, in, in our lifetimes, even the lifetimes of parents and our grandparents, there was this expectation as that the world moved around. We're so proud of our modernity. And there have been consequences that completely played into the background for this, this terrible act of aggression by Putin against Ukraine. When we look at the world and the craziness, and then we, we have our own view of science. We use science to kind of shore up what we believe. When science really needs to be poked and prodded, and let's see what the new science reveals and let's see how that weighs with my current uh, hypotheses or belief systems, even theologies continuously rabbi continuously as I delve into science and technology often weekly, we find more, the more we know in science, the more is revealed about uh, intricate design, intelligent design that is so congruent with a biblical narrative. It is 
It gives you goosebumps. When we look at science, now we're talking about social science to a degree today, it too continues to reveal a God story. We're in a mess in our world. We, we okay, let's just say we have mucked it up <laughs> big time, and we continue to see that. We feel helpless. We feel hapless. We wonder how we got into this mess. We demonize other people, but really... Um, we have come to a, we're coming to a place where we're realizing, uh, maybe we don't really have it all figured out. Indeed. And, uh, I got to hand it to you, Michelle. I, I wasn't expecting that line, but one of the things that I, that I love about you is that with, uh, with all your turning to science and different discoveries, what's really primary in your mind. And I hope primary in the mind of all the people listening to the show is that we believe in God firmly, not because of anything that science can provide. God doesn't need the backing of science. Right. Science is, is wonderful. I'm a, I was a scientist as a, as a child, and that, that was my first love before I really got into got into Torah, and I never I really abandoned it. But spoke man, and that tries to figure out the human universe. We connect with God, and God... God speaks a different language. It's the language of the ultimate reality of the universe, and it doesn't need propping up by science. Nonetheless, when we can show that while other people have been mocking and uh, point, wagging fingers at us for our old traditionalism, really the world is set up in such a way that that empirical evidence winds up supporting the things that we cherish the most. Right. And it, it gives us a little bit of insight, uh, maybe helps us to steer our rudder a little bit better when we see uh, oftentimes society is just flying around by the seat of its pants, doing what we feel is right. But when we look a little deeper into how we feel, we realize that maybe we ourselves are a little bit off. And I was struck by an, an article in the Times of Israel uh, that your team sent over. It was uh, from a blog by uh, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. And it kind of, well, it alluded to the fact that we here in the West, in our Western mindset, we're literally weird. Yes, uh, uh, Sir Jonathan Sachs, who... Uh, is going to go down in history as one of the most important spokespeople for religion uh, of of the last of the last century. Um, not speaking just of Israel and Judaism, but really in Israel in showing why human beings need religion, qua religion, why they need the Abrahamic God. Uh, he he made quite a beautiful case for the Torah, for scripture, for the scripture that we share, not being weird. Weird to him, man, you're going to have to help me out with this. Western, what was the E? Uh, uh, Western educated, industrialized. Industrialized. Yes. Um, uh, it's okay. It's an acronym. <laughs> and uh, and, and democratic. Yes. And democratic. There you go. Right. And 
what what he meant by that is that there's a a certain aggregation of values that have have led the Western world to where it is today, which is not all a good thing. So it, think about that. These are our values. These are our values. We're Western, educated, industrialized, rich, and democratic. Rich. There we yes, go. Yes, there you go. And democratic. And the last one, according to, to Jonathan Sachs, who's a firm believer in democracy, but what he meant by the D in weird is that we've promoted as the single most important value, the idea of the individual and his or her right to do what they want. And that in a democracy, uh, no one limits your ability to do what you want to do to the full extent that you want to do, uh, as long as it doesn't harm anybody else. The idea that everything is okay if it inflicts no visible harm really removes the whole error, the whole idea of morality. And what, what Sir, Sir Jonathan showed was that the Bible shows, it paints a very, very different story. Um, and the, the story that he tells, I think it's worthwhile spending just a few moments on it, and then we can we can talk about Jonathan Haidt, who he introduces in the middle, uh, the social scientists we're both uh, talking about tonight. But Jonathan Sachs says that when you get to the like middle of the book of Exodus, so we've been talking really about individuals, Noah, Adam, Noah, the forefathers, even the entire Jewish people in the land of Egypt who weren't really a nation at all. They were functioning as individuals. And when they left, they were a large group of people, but they were not bound by anything other than their cultural experience, which is something. But they were not, they were not a nation. And somehow God had to forge them into a nation. And the first really powerful step came with the giving of the Torah of God communicating with man, showing that a God who loves is a God who cares, a God who provides, who guides, a God who teaches, a God who shows us how to act. What do you do for an encore after that? So you get to the sections of the Torah immediately after where everybody falls asleep. All this detail about building a tabernacle and it should happen this kind of cloth and that kind of cloth, and you make these utensils out of gold and so much silver and, yeah, what do I need this for? Well, what he says is that part of what you need that for is that what the Torah introduces in trying to mold a nation after it has gotten the people congealed around the idea of the experience of, of Mount Sinai is that it introduces a couple of other values like the priest, the high priest, and the priesthood. And here you have the introduction, he says, in the description of the tabernacle and even the clothing of the high priest, of the idea of the aesthetic. You have the idea of respect for authority. And you have the idea of, 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 of loyalty, of coming together as an entire nation on a project. And here Rabbi Sachs says, you understand what's going on? We have a guy who's considered to be one of the 25 brightest people or most 
most uh, impactful people uh, in the world today, a social scientist by the name of Jonathan Haidt, who's written some fine academic works and three popular works as well. But the thing that he's most noted for is that you get a real division between weird people and traditional people. Weird people don't like traditional people because weird people, using the acronym, he's not saying they're weird. Western, educated, industrialized, rich, democratic. Traditional people are a kind of hidebound and living in, in, in a past that is incompatible with contemporary values because they don't max out on individual freedom. There are other things that get in the way. So he, he did this research now fully supported by, by, by much evidence that there are five, he later changed it to six levels of moral thinking, not levels, but different kinds of moral thinking. Um, you're going to have to help my memory here, Michelle, but uh, I don't have the, I don't have the article open in front of me, even though I should. Uh, he talked about two of them being fully, fully what, what lots of the weird world likes, meaning that the values that are important are not harming anyone else and fairness. Those are the two chief values. Fairness means, as John Rawl, uh, John Rawls put it, uh, certainly one of the architects of weirdness, a uh, famous uh, philosopher of a generation ago, that fairness means that the ability for a person to enjoy all of the things he might want to enjoy is available equally to all people and present as long as it doesn't harm anybody else. Okay. And that, that's very that's, good. That's and very... Worship that, but... They're not the only ones out there. Well, yes, and and it's written into our uh, American psyche with the uh, pursuit of happiness. We have the right to pursue happiness. Of course we do. Um, we're rugged individualists here, and fairness um, seems logical. However, it has also, without some of those other more biblical elements has taken on an idea of something else that it's not just uh, we have the opportunity to have fair outcomes, but uh, we have to have complete fair outcomes. Otherwise, it's not fair. Uh, that means whether you may work harder and train harder, but we both have to get a medal, uh, you know, just because we participated. That's what it has morphed into, we've lost the sense of justice. You might have, you have children, so you have had to have heard the phrase, but it's not fair. fair. My answer was always, maybe it's not fair, but it is just. It doesn't seem that God is always fair. You know, you have a bigger house than I do. That's not fair, but maybe it's just because it's just what I need. We've lost a bit of that because we have lost, as uh, these articles and these studies have pointed out, the sense of 
loyalty to each other, maybe a respect for one another, and a respect for authority, because we have become the center of our own universe. We have put been, uh, we have replaced God on the throne and put ourselves in his place, I would say. Right. And um, what, what uh, Sir Jonathan, Sir Rabbi Jonathan goes on to, to, to show is that Again, supported by by evidence and of several decades by now, that you can't really have a society when the only two moral values are fairness and um, and uh, and and not causing harm. It, it, you you don't have any shot at social cohesion unless there's a sense of loyalty. Loyalty means that I'm not the center of the universe. I may be important, and I have a right to feel that I'm important, but my connection with family members, with my community, with my country, with the world, that's part of who I am as well. And when, when that's not there, there's something wrong with me as a person. If there is no respect for authority, then there's no way of really building anything better. You can't have... 5 million, 15 million separate individuals all going their own way, just careful not to bump into each other and producing something that is going to last. It can in the short run, but it'll fall as long as there's evil in the world. And as long as you have people around like Putin <laughs> who are willing to take a look at, at the lack of willingness of other people to make that sacrifice like the great generation did in World War II. Mm. But we're not there anymore. We've learned that all, all war is immoral. I can't we just learn to live with each other? And that means that the people of Ukraine tonight are living with, with, with the terror of bombs going off in their, in their neighborhoods. And, and it'll probably get worse. My, my guess is, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not working for the Pentagon, but my guess is that Putin was testing with the with the with the opening first hours of the invasion to see what the reaction would be, and he and 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 he took the West by surprise, even though he had broadcast his intentions, and still nothing was going to happen. So he can go further, and he probably he probably will. And and when you don't have respect for authority, then you can't, you, not, not, I'm not saying all authority is good. You know, lots of authority is terrible. And, the, and that, that's why we need, we need the first step in the Bible. People have to stand at Sinai and hear words of God about justice. And that's the ultimate authority. The king and the priest and the commoner all being subject to the same law. And that's, that, <laughs> and, that again is and, where the biblical narrative comes into place because uh, authority and loyalty quite important. We see that we are missing that in our Western weird society. But what is the ultimate authority? Again, it's God on the throne. Um, it is not just a tyrannical uh, government or a tyrannical leader that decides this is what I want to do. I'm authority. You must adhere to it. You must obey it. Uh, we see that in the U.S. There's a lot of folks who uh, respect uh, the Constitution, respect our laws. But when they see us going down the path of the tyrannical they're willing to get in the 
truck and drive across the country and say, wait a minute, we, we want to be heard. We, we want to peacefully protest this and we want to be heard. Um, so I see all of this coming into play in a, a beautiful balance that seems to only happen when you have uh, a correct worldview. And, and this was the beauty of, of the tabernacle. Again, most of us, like, this happened, This was thousands of years ago, and what does it have to do with us? And when you realize the, the, the sequence of events, it was saying that a society has to have a tabernacle in, 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 in its midst to remind them of what the central core idea and who they're responsible for. Remember, in, in some societies today, that tabernacle is occupied by a military parade once a year where Iran can show off its latest missiles. True. Here in the tabernacle, there was an, a box that wasn't opened in, behind a curtain, and people knew that in that box was a, was a reminder, a memento from that one magic moment where God stood and addressed the entire world with his expectations for man. No, no guns and missiles there, just this... this sense of, 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 of the mystery of an unseen God who is more real to us than anything that one could see. That gives room for the other values. It does indeed. Uh, and we can also see in those tablets that were in the box, uh, the inner workings of these values, uh, some of which we have thrown to the wayside in light of, well, fairness or what feels good. And then we're, we're left kind of looking as that, that final pitch comes by and it's right there in the batter's box. We don't take a swing at it. What did Putin just do? And, and why are we so surprised? Because we have this naive value, this naive belief that 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 really, you know, good will by itself triumph always over over evil. It might, but it may take five hundred years, and there may be a lot of casualties along the way. But we still hold on to this naive belief. Yeah, that everybody really wants to be good and wants to be fair, but that's not the case. And, 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 and evil has to be resisted. I, I don't know what the Russian people are thinking or whether they even can because they are, they are presided over by, uh, by, a, by a determined person who, who happens also to, to resist one of the most treasured fiction, fictions of Europe. Now, Europe was thought after hundreds of years of wars on their territory, which, thank God, we did not have in the United States, but they saw it as an unending stream of this nation against that nation and this duchy against that duchy. It's all about nationalism. Nationalism is all evil. We can work for one global human community. You can't have a global human community unless they have something in common. Commonness can't be individuality. That means what we have in common is that we have nothing in common, <laughs> nothing that really counts. And we're and, seeing and, how that works in, in is, our society. It's teaching us or reminding us that there are ties, call them good or bad, but they're a reality that people need to feel connected. Putin is, is reacting to, he said himself openly that 
that what happened after the fall of the, uh, the former Soviet Union was a terrible insult to, to, to the Russian people. Uh, you know, the, he says that carving up the old Russia into 13, I think it was 13 different republics, so they had 13 votes in the UN, was just a bluff. It was something that the communists did. They, 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 they drew a map to, to, to get votes for each individual republic. But they're all Russia. And today we want them back. And they're not going to stop at the Ukraine. No. They're not going to stop at the Ukraine. No, and here we are looking at a potential World War III. And you asked a, a pointed question. What are the people in Russia thinking? And would we ever know if anyone stood against it? And would we have any hope of people in Russia saying, wait a minute, this isn't okay, You're, you've crossed the line? Well, likely no, because you answered that question. They're not allowed to. And that's where here in our Western world, we're experiencing the shutout, the shutdown, the closing out, the canceling of ideas, uh, taking people's bank accounts, taking their uh, businesses, criminalizing them, allowing possibly banks to no longer do business with people that they don't like because, well, why would you want to do business with people like them? Um, that kind of inability to have loyalty in our community and, and that kind of respect shuts down another point of view. It gives the government this, this, this great power, and it does not lead. I mean, it, it works when it's your po point of view that's ruling and someone else's you don't like that you're cutting out, but it doesn't work the other way around. And that's where there's consistency in the worldview that allows for us to have community loyalty, respect for authority, and understand what the ultimate authority is, and that's, and that's God and his word. Otherwise, we see that breakdown, and we can see the fruit of it as Russia invades Ukraine. But what kind of fruit are we going to be reaping in our society as we continue our march uh, towards the future with broken values? You know, a beautiful word that you used before, Michelle, was balance. Because we realize that none of the values that we're talking about, neither the two nor the five or six yeah. in and of itself, is going to, is the elixir that we need to create a perfect society. Any one of those values left to extremes can, can also tank mm -hmm. a society. So you said what we need kind of is a balance between them and balance comes when we have a recognition of God at, 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 at the middle. Uh, this, this way of looking at things, the, the two values of weird people or more liberal societies versus more conservative societies, where all five are important, is that it does give us a way of, of seeing the people who, unlike us, we think, only have those two values as not being evil people. They're also people very much concerned with morality, but who have made the mistake of imbalance and of valuing two to the exclusion of the other three, even seeing those other three as a threat and a danger. So the first thing that we all need to do is to, first of all, give a little bit of respect to the other side and recognize that they're, they're not all evildoers, even though we hate what they're doing and preaching, but that they, they're also in a moral quest 
but we very much disagree. And not only disagree, we feel that we, besides our, our deep-seated belief in God, have, have evidence that you just can't build a society, not in your community, not in the nation, not in the world, without, without the, all, of, all of those five. And that's exactly what, the, what, what Scripture, what the Judeo-Christian legacy provides us. The first thing that we need to do, as always, is to make sure that we understand it without us understanding it, and just you know, sounding like the what's his name, Tevian, fiddler on the roof. <laughs> I don't know. It's tradition. No, it's not just tradition. The word of God is not just tradition. It's much more than that. And we have to understand the depth of its beauty, and and the clarity of its truth. And then we still have something to pass on to our kids. And if we can't save the the universe or the world, or even the entire United States, but at least we can do what God wants us to do in our own communities or build communities within communities where we do have this, this, this uh, common language and we have a currency of trust and respect and loyalty to each other. That's where it's exciting to me. That's where I start to come alive because we live under the headlines of the day that can break us, Rabbi. They can they can steal our joy. They can break our spirits. We and I believe that is from a sense of hopelessness, a darkness that sets over, and we see the state of the world. But when we remember the very things that you said, it reminds us that we have a purpose. We're here for a reason, that God knows the plans he has for us to prosper us and not fail us, to give us a hope, to give us a future. Uh, that seems we're juxtaposed to the current headlines, yet we realize that we do make a difference. I can make a difference. Uh, we're, we're doing a, a show on prayer and the power prayers that you see in the Psalms of, of David when he was under duress and horrific circumstances and a certain loss. And yet he did his main battling, not just on the, on the battlefield, but in prayer and worship. That puts a lot of power back into my life as I get on my knees. It puts power back into my life and gives me hope beyond the circumstances, Rabbi, because I realize that my ability to utilize the values, the biblical values in my life, how I interact with those I disagree with, how I raise my children, how I interact with those around me changes the world in my sphere, and maybe in a larger sphere, in a ripple effect. Your thoughts? I'm so glad you invoked David and Psalms, which maybe not so ironically has emerged as the one book of the Bible that is most passionately shared by, by Jews and Christians. Um, because of, of, of what you noted, of, of, the, of the spiritual battles going on inside David, and he wasn't just a warrior king. He, he committed some sins that were really problematic. And, and yet he was able to rebound after that. He spent years, not a few moments saying, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, I've done my therapy and I've come to conclude to uh, realize <laughs> that I offended uh, Bacheva when I uh, 
took her and murdered her husband. Uh, no, I didn't murder her husband, but sent them off to the to the front. Um, he worked for the rest of his life on repentance, and God called him Yedid Hashem, the beloved of God. Yeah. What that tells us is the power of prayer and repentance that you can you can be a great person and do terrible things in God's eyes, and God will still love you. You have the power to change. You have the power to get back into the good graces of God. And going back to the section of the Bible that we Jews are reading right now, uh, after the construction of the tabernacle and the, the, uh, the clothing of the high priest, we got to the section of the golden calf. And the golden calf has a similar outcome. This was a sin that God said, oh, boy, this is really bad, Moses. I think we're going to chuck them. We're going to start all over with you. And, you know, Moses had to do some quick thinking and say, no way. If that's what you want, I'm going with them. I don't want any part of it. Erase me from your book. And what, what did God do in the end? He said, I will forgive them. They also repented. They repented 40 days while Moses went back up to the, to the, the top of the mountain to get a second uh, set of tablets. So, David and, and the golden calf are like bookends. One shows the power of individual repentance, mm. and the other shows the power of national repentance or communal repentance. In both cases, the idea is that God loves people, and he, he's waiting for us, even after many, many, many mistakes, to just get on our knees and say, God, I'm sorry, and I realize what I've done is wrong and I pledge not to do it again and have a plan for not doing it again. That's really powerful. I'm gonna, it deals with imperfect human beings. It, uh, indeed. You may not be imperfect, but a lot of the people I know are imperfect. <laughs> I think I'm at the top of the list. I want to ask you a, a question uh, of about prayer. We have come to a place in society where prayer just seems like, oh, it's an okay thing to do. We toss out the, uh, well, thoughts and prayers for the families of victims and such. And we've even heard in news stories, uh, people railing against, we don't want thoughts and prayers. We want action, which, you know, action. But I also think prayer is action too. And, and there is an argument for doing battle on our knees I wanted to end our, our time together with the power of prayer, the purpose of prayer in all that we've talked about today and the values that are important. How does prayer factor in? Uh, oh, this is not for a couple of minutes. I know, so right? <laughs> hours on this, but let me, get, let me give it a start built on what you just said. There are just so many ways of understanding what prayer is about. But the first way, and maybe the most important, is the opposite of what those other people are saying. It's the idea that we don't just turn to God for results. And if they don't come saying, you know, I want action, not prayer. The essence of prayer is recognizing human helplessness, that we are not capable of providing ourselves with the things that we really want. And there is only one place to the exclusion of all others, and that is God. The first, first lesson of prayer, the first prerequisite of prayer is 
subjugating oneself, making oneself subservient to God, saying, I know that you're the boss. You don't need me. I need you. And I'm, I'm happy that the one I need is a perfect being, not a vengeful God of, 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 of um, who used to live on Mount Jupiter, you know, the gods of the Greeks and the Romans. It's a perfect God, a God of love and a God of peace, a God who above everything else is just giving because God himself cannot receive. And I, and I fall to, you don't have to fall to your knees figuratively, really, actually, what you're saying is, I recognize that I am subservient to you and your will, and I'm willing to do whatever it is that you want me to do. That's where prayer starts. And that may be where we need to start as we pick up the paper today, or we scan the news online, and it, it feels like our hearts are ready to melt within us. Uh, we lose hope. We've become a hopeless people, an angry people, a hateful people, uh, a people battling against flesh and blood that really isn't our, our, our enemy. We have demonized one another. And what we really need to be doing is getting on our knees figuratively and probably literally as well and adopting a sense of repentance and understanding that we are looking for justice. Of course, we are, are looking for uh, the pursuit of happiness. We also need a, a deep love for one another and above all, uh, not just a respect for authority, but a love for God. These are values that we have when we get on our knees. It's as though we, we start to set things right. That understanding falls into place. The more we are engaged with God's word, the more it seems to come alive inside of us. I'll hide that word in my heart so that I don't sin against God. It sets things right. It seems like... Rabbi, it's those simple things that might be the best hope in these complicated times. I'll give you the final word. I, I would just uh, hope and recommend to everyone that besides following the beautiful advice that you just gave, which we all need as individuals, that we take the time in the next hours or days to listen, to watch the news stories about the people of Ukraine and to try to take their pain and make it our pain. Uh, not out of a masochistic sense, but to identify with those in need so that part of our prayer can be to God to help the people of the Ukraine in their, in their battle and uh, against what is certain to come as the old time KGB returns in a different form, but will be launched against the people of Ukraine. So we, we all together should be spending some time today first understanding fully the tragedy, what this means for families cowering in their homes mm -hmm. as powerful bombs explode around them, what this means to them. And we should be, we should be asking God for his help in, in, in quieting this area. Amen. Rabbi, it is always such a joy. I look forward to our time as uh, we connect at least once a month with Rabbi Yitzhak Adlerstein. You can find links to some of his great writings and learn more at mymichellelive.com. Thank you so much for this time today. Yep. What a blessing. 
Remember to like us and share us. Go to MyMichelleLive. For more fun, go to MyMichelleLive.com. <laughs> <laughs>